0: On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, we talk about Gilbert Gottfried, who has just passed away, legendary comic. He actually, and we talk about this, did a 9-11 joke just two weeks after the tragedy. Plus, where do people get their stupid ideas for the Guinness Book of World Records and Actor Kiwi Kwan joins us. He's currently starring in Everything Everywhere All at Once. It is in theaters now. Don't forget you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and at SteveMason.com and make sure to leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob M.
1: Accident. Oh,
2: call Jacob. Call
0: Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob. eight four four twenty four 24 jacob That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit CallJacob.com. Call jacob hey everybody welcome to the culture pop podcast i'm steve mason along with sue Kalinski. sue baloo how you doing i'm doing good how are good? you everything is great so i kind of wanted to start with this um mm-hmm. and we got a really cool guest today i kind of wanted to start with this um so gilbert gottfried passed away mm. uh who was a legend sort of in the in the history of comedy, describe who Gilbert Gottfried as a stand-up. Who he was?
2: Well, you know he he was a, a just legendary, just a, a one of a kind. Um, he made dirty, filthy comedy um, mainstream.
0: Um, he <laughs> <You> mainstreamed <laughs> filthy comedy.
2: <laughs> he uh, he was just just i i mean i you, you I, I, he was just so different than anybody else he was just this like odd little guy who uh completely unfiltered yep. and um he was just hysterically funny
0: yeah so i wanted to play something and this is going to be highly unprofessional i'm going to hold my microphone up to my computer to be able to play this so uh listen to this and i want to get your reaction this was 2 weeks after That's the way my mind works. I wanted to basically address the elephant in the room.
1: I have to catch a flight to California. I can't get a direct flight. They said they have to stop at the Empire State Building first.
0: So turns into sort of two. What did you think? Because this was two weeks after 9-11. What did you think when you heard that Gilbert Gottfried had done a joke on the subject?
2: Well, I wasn't surprised by it because that's who he was. So um,
0: (laughs) is that a joke you would have ever done at at that time? I mean, it it strikes me that I remember when I went down and thinking, oh, God, you can't joke about that. You definitely can't joke about that yet uh, at all. And and he went there and I've seen other comics talk about the fact that it sort of broke the ice for everybody. It made it weirdly sort of okay to laugh again in the same way that that Saturday Night Live episode did. Is it fair to say that?
2: I mean, that's you know, there are some comedians that are (laughs) I mean, some people may think differently, but there are some comedians that are bold and go where no other comedians go. And he was one of them. And I mean, I'm going to use a word that people don't like to hear. But, you know, when after um, Phil Hartman's uh, wife killed him and herself, Bobby Slayton, another kind of, you know, they call him the pit bull of comedy, completely unfiltered. He went on stage during a memorial for Phil Hartman. And his opening line was, and I thought my wife was a cunt. No. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> yes. Oh. So, oh. Y- you know, um, a lot of people have the proverbial too soon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, people laughed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And,
2: uh, you know, I saw on Facebook, somebody posted. um. In honor of uh, Gilbert, post the most inappropriate joke in his memory. Oh, really? And you know, that just says it all. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. what, you know, like kind of like what would Gilbert do? Right. You know, do what Gilbert would have done. Like make a make an inappropriate joke about, you know, him dying, or you know, just Because that's that's who he was. And that that kind of would have been like a great kind of compliment to him.
0: Well, the amazing thing is that that was at the Hugh with the original joke that I played uh, was from the Hugh Hefner roast, which was at the Friars Club in New York about two weeks after 9-11. And he followed up that joke uh, with the aristocrats. (laughs) He decided, all right, so. All vets are off. And there's this famous joke called The Aristocrats. And our friend uh, Paul Prevenza made a movie about it. It is, depending on who you are, the filthiest joke that has ever existed. Everybody's got their own take on it. But he followed up that with The Aristocrats, which is just an astounding, uh, crazy, out there, and I'm sure too many offensive set.
2: Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, you don't like that? All right, well, how about this? Now I'm gonna make it even worse. But you know, and and look, he got fired from the AfLAC commercials. He made some I, I think it was a I think it was a kind of racist joke about um Japanese or something. I don't know. He 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 just said something extremely right. Offensive. He was the original Aflac guy. Right. But you know, it also depends on who you are too. Like there was a comedian years ago. Do you remember um Leon Klinghoffer? Who yes, was sure. um, who was killed on the Achille Laurel, okay, on yep. a cruise ship. Okay. No, what yeah, Achille Laurel, yeah. That's yeah, what it the is. Achilles Laurel. Yeah, he was in a wheelchair. I mean, it was this horrible, horrible thing. He was taken hostage or whatever. So some comedian uh gets a gig on a cruise. Oh like no. right uh, like a like right after it happened. No. And does a Leon Klinghoffer no, joke. Oh no. And he got airlifted off the ship. <laughs> Did he really? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are
0: there are lines. I mean, the lines are, lines are blurry, but there there are, are lines. Yeah, I always thought that was one of the most interesting things about Gilbert Gottfried was that he went there when nobody else would go there. And would agree or disagree, he he did go there. He was he was fearless as a comic.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He was he was brilliantly funny and uh, and the sweetest guy. Just Was he? the sweetest guy. Yeah. I, I mean, I've known him my whole career, you know? Oh. Yeah. So. Um,
0: so you had I, something. You had something fun.
2: Well, you know, I, <laughs> I'm i always amazed at the, uh, the type of um, Guinness uh, Book of World Record situations. Yeah. Like yeah. How people come up with doing the things that they do. Like, are they just sitting around the house one day thinking... Oh, uh, like this guy in, uh, in, in Idaho, he, he act- actually balanced a lawnmower on his chin <laughs> for 30 minutes and 33 seconds. Wow. And they actually talk about that he did it. Um, he originally set the record for longest duration uh, doing this, um, putting a lawnmower on his chin. And then they have to put in parentheses, not powered. <laughs> oh, not a powered uh, one. Well, so is it really no. that big of a deal? Oh, really? It wasn't powered? <laughs> right. Who, who right. cares? But uh, it just it just amazed me. And then there was another guy who, um, oh, oh, so this is a, a Montana-based company. They broke the Guinness World Record when they unveiled a giant belt buckle measuring 15 feet across Texas. And again, it's like, when do you where are you? What are you doing? What are you smoking? What are you drinking?
0: Let's like we're gonna spitball here. How about gigantic belt buckle? <laughs> I got it. I got it. Dude, I totally got it. Big belt buckle.
2: <laughs> I, I, I just don't understand how where where it comes from. And it's it's kind of like a bizarre um, you know, uh, like golden ring to to strive for. Although I'll
0: tell you, when I was a little kid, we always got the book of Guinness records or the Guinness book of world records, and we would read it and we would talk about it and we would dream of someday being in that book somehow. So I'm sure that's what's going on here, whether it's a publicity stunt or personal glory seeking, you know, and the balancing of the lawnmower movement this guy is like the king. He is the guy. Yeah. And I, I used to always think, in fact, you you just brought this up. I am going to go on the radio today and I'm going to talk about what Guinness Book of World Record uh, we are going to set, uh, Mason in Ireland, uh, everybody on our show. Really? Yeah. Oh, Why not? Cool. Oh, get cool. In the, get in the book somehow.
2: All righty. All righty. Very like inspiring.
0: That. You gave me an idea. You gave me an idea. We're always so- looking for bits.
2: So I thought this was this was just kind of fun to me. So uh, Seth Beer, who's a rookie on uh, the Diamondbacks, yes, he hit a game-winning home run uh, to defeat the Padres on National Beer Day. What are the odds? <laughs> what are the odds of
0: that? How cool is that? Yes, yes. Now it doesn't work every day. Like yesterday was National uh, French Toast Day. <laughs> now nobody <laughs> is going to be able. <laughs> to do what the guy named Beer did,
2: but 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 and that's another thing. Like the, Who these makes national these, days? these national holidays, these like <laughs> weird holidays. Um, there was one. There's one in Japan. Um, they have it's 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 um, it's actually uh, April. It, I guess the uh, each year on the first Sunday of April. Yes, it's it's uh, they have a penis festival. What? It's um it's uh it's it's the festival of the steel phallus. Mm, mm. And it centers around uh, the Shinto god, I don't know, Kanayama hiko or haiko. And uh, it it the deities are associated with me- metal material. Me- what is it, metallurgic? How do you pronounce that?
0: Metallurgic?
2: Metallurgic arts and sexual health. So they they but they actually have a festival that's called the penis festival and um, well, i mean you know there's something
0: there's something cultural going on here right
2: no i know but it's just like you know like how, who who okays this stuff? Like so, I, I
0: will I will tell you that uh, it's a regular running gag on the station. Uh, the afternoon show, Sedano and Cap on Seven Ten ESPN. They always do National Day of. So, just out of curiosity, I pulled it up. Today is National Make Lunch Count Day. I have what, no idea what does what, that mean. I have no idea what that means.
2: Well, they're running out of things to have a day about.
0: Yeah, it is National Scrabble Day. And that makes sense. Right. People. National Peach Cobbler Day. And it's Thomas Jefferson Day. So somehow these things get registered signing declarations, the National Day Society or whatever it is. And they keep coming up with them. And you know what I say? Good for us. Good bits.
2: Oh, no, definitely. It's good for, for a comic take, but it's just so bizarre that they come up, you know, like, I, I just want to know who, who, like, do, do you have to get this approved by somebody is to there declare? National board? Is there a board of National Day shit? <laughs> 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 um,
0: yeah. Yeah. No, right. I, I tell you, we run with that stuff. We run with that stuff. All right. So,
2: so this is just something that I thought, you know, it's kind of up your alley when it comes to uh like ai kind of stuff and oh you know, I love well, this well, stuff, well but just yeah. like weird bring it so, on so a driverless there was a car in a driverless car in San Francisco <laughs> was pulled over by the police in San Francisco who did not know there was no driver in the car. Well I believe that so they that so the, the cop pulls the car goes to pull the car over there's and a then, passenger
0: right there's just no driver no 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 no, it's just a driverless car. Oh, there's nobody in the car. There's, there's no nobody passenger? no 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 no, no, oh. no no
2: nobody in the car. Oh, wow. So they 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 go to pull the car over and the car keeps on going and they don't they think that the car you know that the driver is basically, you know, breaking the law.
0: Meanwhile, it's the computer that's driving the car. It's the, the computer car, it's, that's um, driving
2: the car that's basically breaking the law. Yeah. And uh, the car didn't have its lights on. So, um
0: what did they it, do? What did it turn into a chase? It, what happened?
2: Well, it it finally, finally stopped. Like, I think it just went like a couple of yards. Yeah. And then it stopped. Okay. And then I guess the the headquarters of where the car is being controlled. Yes. Was notified that the car um, was recklessly driving. <laughs> and uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's it, to me, j- the whole driverless car thing is so ridiculous oh, to me. It is so and, smart. You think it's smart. I think, I think it's, it's so scary. Smart. I think it's dangerous. I think it's bizarre.
0: Yeah, I, I think, think I think real drivers are way more dangerous than computers.
2: Well, you know, and, and then I think at some point, like, are you going to have a, like, a, like, AI, like, like cop pull over an AI <laughs> well, car? Now, like, here's the. Is here's, that, was that where we're heading? So
0: you mean, like, RoboCop? Yeah, I mean, like how our science like a robot pulling over
2: science. a robot, basically. They already
0: have robot dogs patrolling, I, and I forget what city this is.
2: Oh, they patrolling. have it. Th- th- you know where they have it? I read it, it's, it's somewhere in Greece.
0: Yeah, so so it's apparently somewhere where kids congregate and drugs and that kind of stuff. sold and they have these robot dogs that now you know parole or patrol the uh, the park. To keep things clean. Now I
2: And what do they do? But what do they do? I mean, are you are you afraid of a robot? Well, it's dog? got a
0: camera in its in its face. Oh, I see. So, in other words, uh, the robot dog walks up to you, you can be ID'd on the camera that's in the robot dog's face and get in trouble that way. So people just scatter. See, I think there's I think there are practical of robot- uses. Is-
2: does a robot dog, like, do you turn and see, like, the robot dog taking, like, a robot crap somewhere? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or, like, taking a robot pee up please, against the tree? Please
0: clean up after your robot dog. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm telling the, the technology stuff, I mean, you may not like it, but it's coming. The future is coming for you, Sue Kalinsky.
2: Yeah, but, like, I I, I can't imagine, because I had read, you know, years ago that they were having, like, robot, um like, maitre d's. And, yes. you know... It's just, it's, it's like, it's Blade Runner. It is Blade Runner. It's like, I just, I mean, I I guess I just can't imagine walking into a restaurant and a robot taking me to my seat and then me saying to the robot, oh, can I get a seat like closer to the, to the the heater? (laughs) or away from where the speakers of the music are. It's a little too loud (laughs) and then getting into a fight with the robot because they won't let me talk to the robot manager. I'm telling you, you will. This is coming. This is coming for you, Sue. Oh boy.
0: The future will not wait. Everything in Blade Runner will come true. Oh,
2: well, I I don't think I'll ever eat an eyeball.
0: Oh, that's right. I forgot about that.
2: (laughs) Oh, the food.
0: Almost everything. Almost
2: everything.
0: (laughs) Um, All right. Well, listen, our uh, guest today, we're talking about uh, one of the things that fascinates me is the multiverse. As you know, I love Mm -hmm. the multiverse. Mm -hmm. Uh, So our guest today was out of the acting business for 20 years. Now he is back in the hottest indie film of 2022. It does involve the multiverse. It's called Everything Everywhere All at Once. It is in theaters now. And Kiwi Kwan joins us. Ki, thank you so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Steve,
1: thank you for having me.
0: It's wonderful to be here. So we were just blown away by the movie. I mean, you know, it's inventive and it's creative. And it involves the multiverse, which is like one of my favorite uh, subjects. I'm fascinated by that. Uh, when you got the script, what was what was your first thought when you started reading? It?
1: Oh my gosh! It was, you know, I was so happy. Uh, this was a script that I wanted to read for many, many, many years. Uh, it, you know, it just it didn't exist before. And that was also one of the reasons why I stepped away from acting for so long. It's been more than 20 years. So when I got a hold of this script, I remember reading it. And oh, my God, I, I, I cried and I laughed really hard. I laughed because it was really funny. And I cried because it was a very emotional script about this amazing family who are disconnected with one another. And they have to travel you know, far into multiverse. To find themselves again and all these wonderful topics that we can you know we can talk for a long time about you know what ifs and you know what would our life be like had we made different choices along in life uh, but also one of the reasons why I, I cried was because it was an amazing script um and and I, I, I couldn't believe that I was reading a script that you know featured a Chinese American family uh, and and I remember after I finished, I wanted to be part of this project so bad. And I called my agent and I said, whatever you do, please, please get me to be in this movie. Mm -hmm. I didn't even care what, I mean, I, you know, I I wanted to, I wanted to be, I I knew it was going to be an amazing movie because I I love the Daniels. I saw Swiss army man prior to reading the script and it was incredible. Uh, And, you know, and, and I'm so grateful to this day, I'm so grateful to the Daniels for, you know, gifting me this, um you know, incredible opportunity to play Raymond. I mean, honestly, I would have, you know, I would have been an extra in this movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, what a feat for you. I mean, someone who hadn't acted in uh around 20 years and then you land a role in one of the like most amazing films that's come along in decades. I mean, yeah. wow. I mean, what a high, huh?
1: Yeah. Hi Stu, by the way. Uh uh, Hi, you know, Sue. I when I decided to get back to acting, uh I was prepared to uh to do a lot of adje- uh auditions, to face a lot of rejections and 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 to get you know offer you know on, on small roles. <clears throat> never, never in my wildest imagination would I think that my comeback movie after two decades away that I would be able to be in this movie to be playing this role uh, and to be with this amazing cast. I mean, you know, come on, the Michelle Yeoh, the Jamie Lee Curtis, James Hong. I mean, what an amazing journey this is. So let's go back 20 years.
0: Cause you, you were, I mean, man, Indiana Jones and the temple of doom was a gigantic movie. You were working with Harrison Ford, who, uh, was the biggest movie star in the world? Certainly, at that point, you were working with Steven Spielberg. how How did they How did they find you? How did they find you for that role?
1: Um, they 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 went everywhere looking for a Chinese kid to be Indiana Jones sidekick. Um, couldn't find it. Almost gave it the role when they decided to to do one last stop, which was Chinatown, Los Angeles. Uh, they held an open call. Uh, and I happened to be at the right place at the right time. I went in audition, and the next day we got a call from Steven Spielberg's office uh, and I walked in the room and you know there he was, along with George Lucas and Harrison Ford. We spent an entire afternoon together mm. three weeks later. I was on a flight to Sri Lanka, and it was the best adventure of my life and what's even more incredible is that you know my 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 family uh my family, my parents are Chinese, and I, and, but I was born in Vietnam, and they decided to flee Vietnam after the Vietnam War. And and our family was separated for over a year. My, I come from a big family. My dad, you know, took six kids, myself included. We, you know, we, we we escaped to Hong Kong. We were in refugee camps for more than a year. And my mom took three of my siblings and escaped to Malaysia. And of course, now I'm grateful to the American government at that time, you know, they, you know, they gave us a visa and they granted us an asylum. And my entire family was able to safely reunite in Los Angeles in 1979. And as destiny would have it, four years later, Spielberg and Lucas were planning to put an Asian kid in one of the biggest movie of all time. I mean, I mean, when you when they talk about the land of opportunities,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: oh my gosh, right? What a story, it's like, yeah. What, yeah, it it was incredible. Never, you know. uh I, again, I mean, I I I'm still. I, I can't believe that happened to me when I was a kid, and I'm still processing right now, this moment, how everything came to be. Uh, it's it's you know, I I think. I get emotional every time I talk about everything so far. And uh, I I don't think I've cried more, you know, in the last two months than I've cried in the last 10 years. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just really, I mean, I, uh, uh, you know, I'm asking myself, I'm pinching myself every day. Like, how can, how can I possibly have this movie, everything, everywhere, all at once as my comeback movie. Um, And, and to, you know, I, you know, I, I look back my entire life how lucky how grateful I have been how blessed I am uh I mean who 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 does his first movie with you know with you know Spielberg and Lucas and Harrison Ford you know I mean to this day I mean Indiana Jones and Goonies are beloved by so many people yes generations I mean it's really it's really amazing so so
2: as a young boy um I mean, how familiar were you with with film, and 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 what what inspired you? What did you watch, you know,
1: as as a kid? Uh, not much, because we were so busy trying to, like I said, you know, we, we you know, uh, as a little kid, uh, you, you don't know much. First of all, you don't have the maturity to really process everything that was going on at the time. You know, we spent a good portion uh, in my early years trying to escape Vietnam. You know, we made two attempts. We succeeded on the second attempt. So when we got to Los Angeles, we didn't have anything. We didn't even have a TV. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, we, you know, my family is, is, you know, 11 total. My parents and nine kids. Uh, we went to this, you know, little, little place in Chinatown, Los Angeles. And so, you know, watching movies was the last thing on my mind. I mean, you know, you understand we just came and going to school. Learning English, that Mm. was, you know, that was the number one priority. Uh, My parents were trying to put food on the table uh, to feed nine kids, (laughs) you know, not one, but nine. Wow. Uh, And, uh, and yeah, and so when, when that movie came along, it not only changed my life, it changed my entire family's life. Uh, So, So it was, it was quite incredible. Yeah. So
0: you... You mentioned you stepped away from from the business um, when when you did. I, I'm curious, what what you did between stepping away and now, like what 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 has your life been like uh, leading up to this this new new movie?
1: Well, I you know I went to film school when I decided to step away, and honestly, I mean it was quite a painful decision that I had to make early in my in my twenties. Uh, you know, that was supposed to be anybody's golden years, you know, um, uh, you know, because I, I, I fell in love acting so much. That's what I wanted to do. So I had to make that decision. And what I did, I applied for film school. I went to USD film school, graduated and started working behind the camera. Uh, you know, I, I did movies like the X-Men, uh, the one with Jet Li. I, I worked for an acting, uh, director named Koi Yuan. He kind of Right out of college, he took me under his wings and really taught me all the ins and outs of, of how to choreograph an action sequence, how to shoot it, how to edit it. And honestly, I was content doing that for a long time. And I also had the pleasure to work with a, a very, you know, a great and influential filmmaker, Wong Kao-Wai. And it was great to, to, for us to be able to pay homage to him in our movie the audience will see in the in the movie star universe. So I was content doing that for a long time until two thousand and eighteen when the movie Crazy Witch Asians came out. Uh, and and that was really when I started to seriously think about, you know getting back into acting. I, I guess you know, in retrospect, uh, even though I was happy doing that, something was missing, and I didn't know. You know, I didn't go to therapy. I'm not a psychologist. I didn't know what was missing. Uh, It was not until I stepped in front of the camera again. And I realized, oh, my gosh, this is what I want. I mean, I'm at my happiest in front of the camera. And uh, and that's why it was, you know, I I treasured every single day on, on everything, everywhere, all at once. So I know that you
2: were you were a stunt coordinator and you're a trained martial artist, so um being a martial artist was that something that um, they were looking for in your character in in, uh, in this movie and 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 how much of that
1: was you? Did you do your own stunts? Yeah I did that, that was that was mostly me uh, for the fanny pack sequence you know i just I studied martial arts uh, when I was a kid in fact, it was after Indiana Jones. Uh, they had a trainer uh, on that set, and I had so much fun beating up bad guys. Hmm. So after the movie, I, I said, you know, I, I want to take this seriously. So I, you know, I started learning Taekwondo uh, for many years. So I have that background. Um, and and when I graduated, it was because of that background also, and also my film background. Uh, uh, you know, kind of kind of, you know, hired me to work on these amazing movies. Um, for this particular movie, you know, I, I trained with with our stunt coordinator Tim Ulick and our Marshall Club boys, Brian and Andy Lay, for weeks to perfect that Fanny Pack sequence because it was scheduled for only one and a half day, including all the drama leading up to it. And I remember the Daniels coming to me and says, Key, listen, you know, I, I I just want you to know that we have over 60 shots to get through today. And wow. we don't have the luxury of shooting until we get it right, which is oftentimes, which is what we do in Hong Kong when you work on a uh, uh, on an action movie. Uh, so it was, you know, it was, I was under a lot of pressure to get, make sure to get everything right. And especially when you're in a movie with Michelle Yeoh, where there is a fight sequence and she is the queen of martial arts movies? You know, you better step up your game. Um and, and really, I mean, it's to the credit of 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 our action team, our DP. You know, uh I mean we were able to 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 pull it off and I'm very proud of this secrets, this fight secrets.
0: So the idea of the multiverse is one that is, I mentioned at the top, is one that is fascinating to me. The idea that there's another universe where I made different decisions and wound up in a different place. If you go back and you think about your life, where is that, that dividing point where if things would have happened differently, you might have wound up somewhere else altogether?
1: Uh, that's a great question. I mean honestly you know I, I oftentimes I think about that especially with this movie uh uh coming out had I not been in Chinatown for example, hmm. had my parents not decided to 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 come here in the first place um oh my gosh, I mean all these possibilities uh but you know i i you know i I also believe everyone has their own destiny um we can, I mean, it, it's, you know, that's what's so great about our movie is that it, it opens up all these really interesting conversation. Uh, I have no idea what I would be doing, honestly, had I not been in Chinatown in 1983. Mm. Um, and over the years, you know, I, I've thought about giving up entirely, you know, um, and had I done that, I don't think I would have auditioned for the Daniels. Mm. I would have been doing something completely different. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, while, while watching
2: the film, um, there was a movie that came out years ago with Gwyneth Paltrow called Sliding Doors. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the movie? Yeah. Yeah. And this movie reminded me of that movie on acid. (laughs) Um, especially all the multiverse, you know, and, and, and what I wanted to ask you, you know, when you're doing a film, you know, even just a conventional film, most of the time, you're not shooting in sequence, you know, you're shooting all the scenes that take place in this specific area. You're shooting all of those scenes, no matter, you know, where you are in the action. It could be, you're shooting the end of the movie, maybe first in this, you, you, I, I'm just so curious because we see the finished product of what is done with the editing. How, how do you do so many scenes and, and like certain shots, like you were saying, 60-something shots that they had to get? What is that like for an actor? I mean, how challenging was that for you?
1: Well, first of all, the, the Daniels are really amazing filmmakers. They're so smart. Uh, they 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 wrote the script. They had it all planned out. And we had an amazing DP, an amazing producer, Jonathan Wong. Larkin is our DP. And this, I mean, really, like, I, I can't say enough about our crew. Um, uh, everybody was so focused uh, to making sure that, you know, that we get through everything we had on every single day. And from, I mean, as in from an actor's point of view, I mean, you know, we, we had three months of prep time, so I can only do as much as I can, prepare, I learn my lines. All the actors came on set, knowing the lines, are very prepared. Uh, and surprisingly, even though we had so much to shoot in 38 days over an eight-week period, but there was not one single time day where we felt rushed. To give you an example, we always start the morning Gathering the entire casting crew together, we would do a warm up a- exercise. Sometimes they would play music and would dance for you know fifteen to twenty minutes, and just the, just for this big group to come together. And uh, and then when that was done, then we would start with take one first shot. Mm. Uh, and and you know, it, it, I mean, honestly, the, the the Daniels had it all mapped out. We were just you know we were just following their lead. And all of us were really comfortable because we trusted them. We placed our trust in their hands. Uh, and, and it was, you know, and we also we had an amazing script. We never, from day one, after we began principal photography, whatever that script was, we had zero changes. Really? We started the way it was written. All the changes were made prior to day one, for example, uh, Evelyn's character was 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 originally named Michelle, and I, I practiced all my lines, saying Michelle, 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 and then so they changed it at the very last minute, uh, and uh, when we started shooting, I kept calling her Michelle, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I mean but after that I mean literally I mean there were no there were no changes. We shot it the way it was written. And that's something very rare.
0: So you mentioned, you talked about your, your life, your family, uh, getting out of Vietnam and your life as a refugee, reuniting with your family. Can you believe we now live in, a, in an era where you mentioned crazy rich Asians? Asians. I'm also thinking uh, Shang-Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings. Can you believe we live in, in a world, in a country, in a culture where, where themes like that, and representation like that is actually taking place.
1: Yes. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so grateful for the last few years. Uh, When I started in the business, you know, there were so few of us. Oftentimes I was, I was the only Asian face on a movie set. Um, And, and, you know, roles were just very limited for an Asian actor. I mean, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. Uh, you know, I started out as a child actor. And and to make a transition from a child actor to an adult actor is very difficult. There are, you know, very few successful cases in, 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 in the history of cinema. I mean, it's very hard to, to move from child to an adult actor. And when you're an Asian actor, it's even more difficult times a hundred times, you know, a thousand. Uh, so, yeah. So it was... In my early twenties, I, I I remember the, the 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 very last audition I did before I decided I go. You know what? I I don't think I can do this anymore. Um, it was for a a role that didn't even have a character name, and it had three lines. Hmm. And this was after maybe more than a year that my agent had hadn't called me because there was just nothing for me out there. Wow. And, uh, and, and, and finally, you know, th- there was this, there was this, you know, opportunity to audition. It was for three lines. I walked in the room and th- it was filled with Asian actors fighting for this minor, minor role. Mm. Uh, and I went, I auditioned, I came out and, uh, and, and I waited to see if I got the part. And then a week went by nothing. I'll call my agent. And I said, I said, uh, Hey, any news on, on, on that? And they said, Oh, they've already, you know, they, they picked somebody else. Mm. And I remember sitting there, I go, Oh my gosh, this is it's such a minor road that has three lines and I didn't even get it. And I mean, again, I mean, this was like, to give you context in my, what I think I was like 22, 23 at that time. And all I did was just sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. Uh, and I go, "Matt." God, this is so difficult. I, I don't know if I can do this anymore, you know? So really, and then, and then um, that was when I decided to go, this is it.
2: You know, it's weird in this business, you know? I mean, I, I did stand-up for a long time. I did, you know, a hand, handful of, of acting gigs. But I remember, you know, you and I have some six degrees of separation because you were in head of the class. And Dan Frischman and I were very, very good friends uh we were young comics in new york we drove out from new york to la we moved to la together we were roommates we weren't romantic but we were roommates and then you know some soon after he got head of the class and tannis vallaly was um my, the her father was a, a stand up comedian and uh and showrunner and um he gave me my first writing gig so we we have this connection but my point is that you get this role on a, on a, on a big series, you think, okay, I'm in, you know, I'm just going to keep on working. And it, it really is the craziness of show business. You know, I, I don't think people in other professions think, you know, I got like a doctor gig and you know, when am I going to get another doctor gig? You know what I mean? So, um, it, I, I, I really tip my hat to you for, um, for just, you know, having this, this drive, you know,
1: years later, because
2: look what it landed you.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, when I, when I was working behind the camera, I noticed, you know, uh, things were changing slowly. Uh, uh, You know, something was brewing on the small and big screens. I mean, I noticed that, you know, uh, that more and more Asian actors were being featured uh, more and more in, in prominent roles. Uh, it grew from, you know, one to two. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was watching television and it was an entire cast made up of Asian actors that was fresh off the boat. Mm-hmm. And I go, wow, that's that's really interesting. You know, it's something that, you know, we haven't seen before. And then so when when Crazy Witch Asians came out and the phenomenal success that they had, everybody yeah. came out and, and supported that movie it really goes to show not just Hollywood, but to America is like how much we're craving for something different. Yep. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and, and so, I mean, in terms of, you know, Asian representation, yes, I'm very, very grateful. And I think my return to acting is proved that how important it is, not just for Asians, but all groups of people, everybody, all colors of people to be represented up on the screen in entertainment. And it's not until you see it until you visualize it. Can you really think, Oh my gosh, it can also be me up there on the screen. Uh, You know, and and we have done it in the last few years with Shang-Chi, our first, you know, Asian hero, you know, uh, crazy, crazy, Rich Asians, our first romantic lead. Uh, And now everything, everywhere, all at once, you know, this amazing movie that featured, you know, I feel like a lot of times in the past, you know, you, you put an Asian character up on the screen. It needs to be about identity or about, there's, there's got to be a reason. But this movie, it's not about identity. Right. It's about this family who has problems just like everybody else on, on, on in the world. You know, just, you know, issues that, that are very relatable to everybody. You know, intergenerational, you know, trauma, you know, husband and wife who's been married. For a long time, and they're just growing apart. You know, the 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 father figure that you have to constantly, uh, seek approval of. You know, I mean, all of these that that that'll just anybody. Can understand it and, and relate to it.
0: Yeah, very universe- uh, unbelievably innovative movie. But it's got a great heart, and it does. It is a universal story, which is one of the things I love about it. Uh, the movie is called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Keith, thank you so much for doing this, man. Congratulations! Can't wait to see what you do next, man.
2: Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. It's, it's great chatting with you guys. What a nice guy! What an amazing story! What a great movie! It is a great movie, and I mean, I just the whole subject matter of. What could have been like yes. like I think of you and I you know like I was writing TV yep working on a show that hadn't really hit yet that's it was sex in the city yep didn't really know what was gonna happen with it didn't know it was gonna be this phenomena my writing partner and I split up yep and then I'm like floating around. At sea, not knowing what I was going to do, I was, you know, kind of not into stand up as much, and I, you know, was trying to get a writing gig on my own, and and then you come into my life and offer me this opportunity to go to New York, yeah, and uh, and do this radio show, and what and might have been had
0: I not exactly. What if I had been doing that show with Jimmy Kimmel, which was one of the early ideas? It's or- just. Yeah. Or what if in 1998, when the New York Daily News, I've, this is like a humble brag, when the New York Daily News wrote an article about who's going to take over for Bob Costas on Later, and it was me, a photo of me, of Chris Rock, and of Greg Kinnear, what if I'd gotten that show? Then I wouldn't have gone to New York, and you would probably be a multi-award winning producer by now.
2: Mm-hmm. That's true. So you fucked everything up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's my specialty. That's my specialty. <laughs> uh, well, great movie. Uh, it it's in theaters now. It's called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Can't recommend a movie more highly. Really, really cool. And I I think even though it is April as we record this, and that movie's going to be a Best Picture nominee.
2: Oh, absolutely it's it's
0: that good it's that good so go check it out and
2: and, and so many and editing too i mean the editing is insane
0: oh the editing the sound design the the special effects the the battle sequence with the fanny pack that he talks about is really really i mean it's just it's such a great great movie uh and original which we don't see very much of all right don't forget you can subscribe to the culture pop podcast on apple spotify or at stevemason.com leave us a rating and a review uh, and we will see you next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.